Well, hey, good morning, Zion. Happy New Year. Thank you. My name is Jennifer Colby, and I'm one of the directors here at Zion. I am so glad that you are with us here in 2022. By a show of hands, how many people made a New Year's resolution? You know, hashtag New Year, New Me. Anybody? Nobody. This is second. First service didn't have anyone either. Okay, well, then I guess I don't need to ask the next question of how many didn't. But I will ask... How many of you never, like this is, you just never make a New Year's resolution, it's not your type of thing, you're like, what, why is this even a thing? Anybody? Do we have any never? Yeah, we have a few, okay. How many of you were waiting until after this message to make one? Is there anyone who was up for the challenge that I gave last week? Also, also no, but that's okay, that's all right, that's all right. I have to be honest, I'm really not a New Year's resolution type of person myself. I don't get into them that much. Uh, They kind of annoy me, and even statistically, we know that most people don't keep them throughout the year, so it's kind of like, what's the point? But if you joined me last week, last year, see what I did there? You know that I left you with the challenge to not make a New Year's resolution until after today's message. Last week, we went through some of the detours Joseph had in his life immediately following the birth of Jesus, namely to escape to Egypt in the middle of the night, and then again, a couple years later, to do it again to go back to Israel. For those of you who weren't with us, let me recap some of the takeaways from that message. God spoke to Joseph then, and he is still speaking to us now. His word is the primary source of his communication to us. Jesus fulfilled these words, and he embodied these words. And so because he was the word made flesh, we need to ask ourselves, ask ourselves, do we love God's word? Are we feasting on it? Does it nourish us? Are we getting to know Jesus and then getting to know him more and more? God has something to say to us, but part of us hearing from him should mean that we also do what he says. We talked about how we might not ever get to see the benefits of obeying God in our lives. In fact, that sometimes benefits might feel like losses and that following Jesus can be dangerous. And that by obeying God, God uses us to fulfill his purposes and plans for this world, his eternal plans. And how that's a pretty big deal. We looked at how anything, even fear, if surrendered and submitted to God, can be used by him. That our fear doesn't have to be an obstacle. And we ended with this idea from David Platt in his book Radical, that Jesus is someone worth losing everything for. That the words from Jeremiah 31 alone qualify him as such. That his death and resurrection qualify him as such. I asked the questions last week, but today I'm going to make them as statements. Because Jesus is someone worth losing everything for, he is worth giving our undivided and undistracted attention to. Because Jesus is someone worth losing everything for, he is worth listening to. He is someone worth immediately obeying and trusting, even if we don't understand, and even if it's costly. Because Jesus is someone worth losing everything for. He's worth getting to know and then getting to know more and more. And because he is someone worth losing everything for, his word should have authority in our lives and we should do what it says. And because Jesus is someone worth losing everything for, he is worth having everything submitted and surrendered to. 
We had to end with this idea that Jesus is someone worth losing everything for because it's where it starts for us today. If our current view of him today is anything less than that, that he is someone less than, any, less than being someone worth losing anything for, and I do mean loss, and I do mean everything, then what he has for us in 2022, what he wants us to do, where he is calling us to go, really doesn't matter because we're not likely to go anyway. We have to start with who Jesus is to us, not who he is in truth, because if we understood who he was in truth, this would not be a question. But we have to understand who he is to us because this one single thing dictates how we'll respond to him. And so the question is, is Jesus someone worth losing everything for to you? And friends, I can't answer that question for you. I can barely answer that question for myself. For me, is Jesus worthy of giving everything up for? Yeah, I believe he is. So will I? I'm not so sure. And if you're like me, then today's message is going to be kind of hard in some ways. In fact, I wrestled with God as to whether or not we really had to go where we're going. Like, couldn't we just skip the hard stuff? But I don't think we can. And actually, I think that's some of the problem in general. In our Western American culture, and in Iowa, and in Clear Lake specifically, it is relatively easy for us to follow Jesus here. It's not really that trying or difficult. And don't get me wrong, I'm so very grateful for the opportunities and freedoms that we have in America. I'm so grateful for this mostly safe little community that we have here. But the cost to follow Jesus here is low. It's pretty easy to follow him here. And you know, we don't have to go, we don't have to secretly meet up to worship him. We aren't kidnapped or tortured for claiming to be Christians. We aren't arrested for carrying Bibles. Our families don't usually abandon us if we love Jesus. They might think we're weirdos, but they won't often full out reject us. The government, say what you will about the American government, but the persecution of the Christian church in America pales in comparison to the rest of the world. We aren't sexually assaulted or murdered for our faith. These are true things in other parts of the world. But for us, we get to go to church. We, we get to go have our kids go to Z Kids and Z Youth on Wednesday nights. We have the Bible app on our phones and we don't have to worry about that. We can freely go to our Bible studies with our friends. I mean, we can even go to conferences with thousands of people and worship God and hear from his word in broad daylight. And sometimes I think the result of our freedoms and protective little bubbles and let's just call them what they are. They are blessings. They are blessings from God. This is part of the favor that he has on our community. But the result of these for our Christian lives sometimes is that we can be lazy or complacent. I mean, we can safely go to church without persecution. But why should we go when we don't feel like it? We can meet up for Bible studies, but that's just one more thing to do on an already packed schedule. There are absolutely places in this world where people are losing everything for Jesus. And it's not because Jesus loves them any less. It's because he said that would happen. It just isn't our reality here. Jesus doesn't promise us an easy life or, or safety or security. In fact, he says that following him is costly and will actually cost us everything. 
Everything we're going to look at today are words from Jesus' mouth that were recorded for us. These are red letter words. They're not from Paul or Peter or James. They are from Jesus. Jesus himself while he was on this earth. And he tells us that there is a cost, a significant cost to following him. That actually we're going to lose everything to follow him. And we have to consider if that cost is worth it. I'm starting in Luke chapter 14, uh, starting with verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And I'm skipping ahead to verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have, cannot be my disciple. Crowds, large crowds are following Jesus and he stops, turns around to face them, to tell them about the cost of following him. They were already actively following him and he wasn't sure they knew. So he says to them, if you do not love me so wholeheartedly, so radically, that by in comparison, how you love even your closest family members seems like hatred, if you don't love me so much that the contrast is so great, so stark, you can't be my disciple. You can't truly follow me the way that I require. I have to be first. And he adds, if you love your own life more than me, if you love your career or your hobbies or your vacations or your dreams or your Friday nights out, Friday nights out or your sex life or your workout routines more than me, then you can't truly follow the way that I require. I have to be first. And if that weren't enough, he goes on. If you don't give up everything, not if you're willing to give up everything, but if you don't, then you can't truly follow me the way that I require. I have to be first in your life. The message translation sums it up this way. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether people or plans, and kiss them goodbye, you can't be my disciple. And does anyone need a breather after that? Because, wow, those are some hard-hitting words. And here's another example. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. It's kind of a long passage, so stay with me on it. As they were walking along the road, a man said to them, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have, have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. The first man says, I will follow you wherever you go. He is excited and enthusiastic. I love his resoluteness. And don't we get excited about that and say the same thing sometimes? Jesus, I'll follow you. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, whatever you want, Jesus. But Jesus' reply is basically, well then, are you ready to rough it? Because even the Son of Man does not have a home. Consider the cost. Things are going to be real tough. And Jesus invites another man. He says, follow me. And we have the same invitation today. He says to us today, follow me. And the man replies that first he needs to go to attend to his father's burial. 
And scholars don't know if the father was still alive or not. There's some debate on that. But either way, Jesus' response is radical. Either the man is told to not go back and bury his father, which in Judaism uh, was considered a duty, one even greater than, follow, than studying the law, or more shockingly, if the father was still alive and the man needed to go back to take care of his father until he died, then Jesus is saying that the demands of the kingdom supersede all earthly responsibilities. That's crazy talk. And lastly, the third guy says, I will follow you, but... And before we judge him, don't we so often have our own excuses as well? I will follow you, but only like part way because I really have a lot to do. I will follow you, but I don't really want to go to that place. I will follow you, but I don't really want to go to that person. I will follow you, but like right now? And again, Jesus says, I must be the absolute and exclusive center of your life. If there is a but in your statement for following Jesus, then you got to go back and figure out if Jesus is truly someone worth following everything, losing everything for. Because someone worth losing everything for deserves, I follow you, period, kind of statement. I will follow you, period. And I want to read to you one more radical, you could even say absurd statement that Jesus makes about following him. Mark chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus looked at him and loved him. This statement was made out of love. Love was and is the motivation for Jesus advising us to first count the cost. It is the reason why Jesus radically commands us to wholeheartedly follow him. He loves us and he loves the rest of humanity. He wants his glory known. He wants his love known. And so the reason why he tells us to do such a radical thing is so that can happen. The reason why he can tell us what we lack, what we are missing to make us whole, is because he does so out of love for us. And because we lack different things, God might require us to give up different things. And Jesus' command also prepares us for eternity. And in this case, this is a deposit for an eternal treasure. I'd like to point out something else. Some translations don't include the word then uh, in the phrase, then come and follow me. It's just come, follow me. The Greek for the word then here is just a connecting word. And actually, it's best translated as and also. So let me rephrase that verse for you. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And also, come follow me. I don't know for sure if this is the meaning of the verse, but I do think it warrants the observation. I don't believe that not giving everything excludes you from following Jesus. It's just that if you don't, you need to go back and ask the question, is Jesus someone worth losing everything for in my life? Because think about this. Jesus is telling this man to sell everything and give the proceeds to the poor. He gives this command out of love so that the man can be made whole so that we can be made whole. He says it out of love so that the people who are the recipients of this generosity may come to know him through it. And he gives it so that we can start investing in our eternity. And as radical and as absurd as this statement might appear to be, doesn't it sound like a good one? Like the right one? That's not my phone, right? 
Okay, I don't want to like shame anybody, but I had a feeling, I thought maybe it wasn't, so anyway. Okay, so why do I share all these verses? Well, it's because Jesus says that we first have to consider the cost in following him. Because following him will absolutely be costly. We have to consider the cost because Jesus has plans for our lives. He has plans for us in 2022, and because following him requires extreme obedience. And so if we're going to go where he wants to take us, we first need to decide not only if he is worthy enough to ask us to give up everything, but if he is right to do so, if it is right and good for him to require that of his disciples. And then we have to decide for ourselves, are we ready to rough it for the kingdom of God? We have to decide if we're ready to take everything dear to us, people or plans, and kiss them goodbye. Because that is what he says he requires of us, and that is what he says we can expect. I have no idea if I'm communicating the depths of what all this means. People turn away for this. Some people, the cost is just too worth it, or it's just too um, costly. It isn't worth it. The man in Mark who was asked to sell everything went away sad. He wasn't ready. The cost was too great. And, and some of you, and I, I, I've been praying against this, but some of you in this very room today might decide that this is all too much. And you might give the Jesus the old peace out sign. But I hope instead that you not only understand the gravity of the call to follow Jesus, but that it lights a fire for you to live differently in 2022 and beyond. Uh, let me give you a personal example of both. I believe this year in 2022, God is calling me to go to another country on a short-term missions trip. I have never done that before. And this partly comes from the radical book I read, which I already told you has wrecked, my, wrecked me for life. Um, I am and always have been the kind of, there are people right here who need Jesus kind of person. And while that's true, I can sense that God is trying to stretch me this year, and I'm excited. But I don't know where he'll send me. And can I just tell you, if it's to Afghanistan or to China, where Christian persecution is extremely bad right now, I'm worried that I'm going to give Jesus the peace I'm out and not follow him. I just don't know that I'm ready to be in a position where I might be killed to follow Jesus. And it's not just my own life. It's the, the willingness to leave my children motherless for Jesus. I'm not so sure. And I wrestle with this while fully knowing that, hey, I could die any moment anyway. That there are people all over the world who this is their daily reality. And that Jesus tells me in his word that this might be what he has for me. This is a deep, anguishing wrestling of my soul. If Jesus' words do not completely stop you in your tracks, get you right down to the very core of your being and make you seriously consider if following him is worth it, then I'm not sure I know what will. We needed to have set that foundation that following Jesus is worth it, although costly, before we, we could discuss what he has for us in 2022. I want to propose to you that God, in his word, has already revealed to us what he has planned for us this year. And it's centered around this idea to go. God has already told us to go. The word go appears in the Bible over 1,400 times. In them, we're told to go and be reconciled. Go and be healed. Go and have mercy. We're told to go to specific locations 
sometimes we're told to go home to tell the people in our house how Christ has transformed us. And I would have liked to have done a whole message on that alone. For some of you, the main takeaway that you need to take from today is to go home and show the people in your house how Christ has changed your life. And we see examples where people were told to go to, to specific people, sometimes a person, just one person, at specific times. In the Gospels specifically, there are several different words and meanings that all translate to our word go. Go can mean to lead oneself under, to follow behind, to spread abroad, and it can mean as a manner of life. So if we're going to go, then we first need to lead ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to follow behind his lead because he wants to spread his good news abroad to the entire world, and he wants us to do it as a manner of our life, not a New Year's resolution, but as a way of life. The word go is powerful. But for us today, we're going to focus on just four main things that we're told to go and do. Go and pray, go and tell, go and invite, and go and make disciples. So first, go and pray. In Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus tells us, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father. And before we can go anywhere, we need to go to our Father in regular prayer. I cannot underscore the importance of preparing through prayer. If we're going to go, we're going to need to ask God to prepare our hearts and minds to do so. When you pray, ask God to grow your faith so that he becomes someone worth losing everything for. Ask him to increase your mercy for other people. That is, a desire to relieve their suffering, especially for people who don't know him. Ask God to grow your love for people who aren't like you, who don't look like you or talk like you or dress like you, and to help you see the need for the local church to reach out to the global world. Simultaneously, ask him to use you right here where you are right now. Ask God to reveal to you who and where and when you're supposed to go. Ask him to prepare the way and open opportunities for his kingdom to advance and for him to use you to do so. And then ask him to raise up other people, his body, who also get up and go. We prepare through prayer. We do not idly sit back and wait on him to tell us more. We prepare now so that we can be ready to go to the place or to the person that God has planned for us. As we wait on him to reveal and direct us further, we prepare our minds and hearts to actually obey him when the time comes and to actually do what he says to do. We spend time in prayer now so that we can go and tell. The question that everyone wants to know about sharing Jesus is, what will I say? In Luke chapter 7, verse 22, John's disciples have come to Jesus to find out if he is, in fact, the Messiah. Jesus tells the messengers to go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So listen, all we do to go and tell people is to tell them what we have seen and heard about Jesus. That's it. So what have you seen and heard of him? And since we've already prayed about this, we can trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be present with us and will guide us and help us. 
your responsibility is just to share the little bit that you know. We tell them how he offers forgiveness of sins, a clean slate, and a chance to start over. We tell them how he cares for them and how he cares for the sick and the lonely and the poor. We tell him that he heals. We tell them that he desires a relationship with them. I want to read to you Matthew 28, verse 10 real quick. This is after Jesus has been resurrected. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You guys, we go and tell people that Jesus is alive. The risen Christ himself will make himself known to whomever it is you are telling. You don't have to come up with something extraordinary to say. You already have the extraordinary one living in you, and he will be the one to provide those words for you. Our job is to simply go and tell who Jesus is so that when the Holy Spirit makes his presence known and introduces himself to them, the person can make the connection that the one you're referring to, the one who saves, is the one they just met. People will see him. They might reject him, but they will see him. We are called to be messengers. We are called to share his message. So go and tell. And after we tell people about Jesus, there's a need to go and invite them to belong, to be a part of his family. In Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 8, Jesus shares the parable of the wedding banquet. He said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. In this parable, the ones who were invited but didn't come is referring to the Jews. So now God is saying the banquet of salvation is for everyone. Go out and invite them to come. I want my house to be filled. And specifically, we're told to go to the street corners and invite anyone we can find. No exclusions, no exceptions. I had these thoughts about street corners. At first, street corners denote proximity. We are absolutely supposed to go to the people who are near us. Our neighbors, our coworkers, the people at the gym, other parents in the bleacher, and invite them to God's banquet. They are the quickest and easiest people to reach. And you have a significant influence with the people who are right around you. You may not understand it, but you do. We don't have missionaries in Clear Lake, Iowa, because you are the missionaries in Clear Lake, Iowa or Mason City, or Forest City, or wherever you're from. You're it. You're the one who God has chosen to send here to spread his message and to be his messenger here. So go to your street corners. And something else about street corners, who hangs out at them? Prostitutes, drug addicts, gangs, and the homeless. And interestingly enough, as Matthew uh, 6, 5 says, the religiously hypocritical. I think God wanted me, Jennifer Colby, specifically to see this in the text. As Jason has been leaning into this idea that God's church is diverse, made up of people from uh, all over, multi-ethnic and multi-socioeconomic, I've done some work in my own life on whom I personally have biases against. These biases, I've realized, might prevent me from sharing the gospel with them. And it might prevent me from inviting them to be a part of God's church. And do you want to know who's on that list for me? Criminals. People who are 
hanging out at street corners. Because of my past working in public safety, it really takes some effort on my part to not only judge, but to love people with criminal backgrounds, addicts, gang members, or the homeless. God tells me to go and invite everyone and anyone, and I don't want to skip these people. I'm cringing as I share this, but do you know who else is on my list of people I have a hard time going and inviting? The religiously hypocritical. The people who claim they are Christians but in no way act like it. I have a really hard time loving them. But surely God's grace extends even to them. Surely his promises of forgiveness and redemption are for them too. I know that to be true. The whole street corner passage was probably directed uh, totally towards me. It was for me. I'm told to go to the street corners of society and invite those people in. But listen, you too have people, kinds of people in your life who you have biases towards. People who you judge just a little bit harder than the rest of society. And these biases might prevent you from, and inhibit you from going and inviting them to be a part of God's family. Who are they for you? Because if you can identify it, then you can pray through it and you can overcome it. God's invitation is for all people, including the quote-unquote bad people. Literally, the text says to go out and gather as many people as you can find. Jesus, God is not choosy in that regard. Every single human being was created in the image of God and therefore he wants them with him in eternity. So go and invite them. Because here's the thing. God's house will be filled. It will be packed full of people who have accepted the invitation. And there's actually another parable of a wedding banquet mentioned in Luke chapter 14. Uh, just a side note on that one. It mentions how all the people who were first invited made up all these excuses as to why they couldn't come. So here's the thing. When you invite people, people will make excuses and not come. But that's okay. Invite them anyway. It's not personal. On the other hand, some people are waiting, just waiting for an invitation to come and see what this is all about. But the part that I wanted to hit on from Luke uh, 14 is verse 23. It says, Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Okay, this is so much fun for me. The reference to the roads and country lanes in this verse has two meanings. The first meaning means outside the city altogether. So like outside Clear Lake. And outside Clear Lake is the rest of the world. You hear what I'm saying? And the second meaning is beyond the outermost circles of human society. Basically, it's the outcasts. So think about this. This parable is extending the kingdom of God to the whole world, multi-ethnic, and to the lowest class of humanity, multi-socioeconomic. It's everything we've been talking about in Galatians. So listen, we're supposed to go to all people, to anyone we can find, our neighbors, the people on the street corners, the people outside the city, the whole world, people who are socially outcast, and invite them in. And listen, it gets better. In this second parable, we're also told to compel this second group to come in. This isn't referring to trying to convince the first group through their ex excuses. This is us compelling the second group of people 
the people on the street corners and the outsiders, that God deems them worthy enough to be here, that God deems them worthy enough to come and be welcomed just as they are. How good is that? Go and tell. What are you going to tell them? Go and invite. Who are you going to invite? And then lastly, go and make disciples. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20 are well-known verses. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word therefore in verse 19 means that we need to go back to the previous verse and see why it is that we can even go and make disciples in the first place. What gives us that right? And so in verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And since all authority has been given to Jesus, we now have that authority and responsibility ourselves to go out and make disciples. We're going to go out and teach people how to follow and obey and how to learn from him. That's what discipleship is. All of us are supposed to go and teach and model for someone else what it looks like to follow Jesus. And by the way, for those of us who are parents, our children, at least while they're still in our home, they are the primary people that we are supposed to disciple. So listen, if you've got little ones, you've got little mini disciples running all over the house, that's incredible. What an opportunity. How you teach them to follow Jesus is really important. Regardless of whether you have children or not, though, all of us, this is the Great Commission, all of us are commissioned with going and making disciples, and collectively, we're to go to all nations as well. And we can be confident that even when we don't get this right, even when we don't get any of this right, we have the assurance that Jesus Christ is with us always. The message translation says it like this, I will be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. He understands that we won't always get it right. He understands that the call to make disciples is a daily, day-by-day -day process, and we won't do it perfectly. But we have the assurance of God's presence, the assurance of his grace and forgiveness, and the assurance of his love that helps keep us pressing on to do what he has asked us to do. There is hope, even in our shortcomings, that he is still God over it all, and that these are still his plans. Gallat is calling each of us to go and tell, go and invite, and go and make disciples. But the specifics of how we do this and how God asks each of us to do it individually will vary. Our individual paths will look different. The methods will be different. How he asks me to do it will be different than how he asks you to do it. The locations will be different, the people will be different, and the timing will be different. But it's still the same call to go and tell invite, and disciple. So about that New Year's resolution, I'm not going to ask you to go and tell, go and invite, or to go make disciples. Jesus already told you to do that. That shouldn't be your objective for 2022. That should be your way of life. Instead, I want you to consider what it would look like if each of us had one person just one person whom we were supposed to pray for and discern opportunities to go and tell, invite, and disciple them. Just one person. 
And if every Christian in Clear Lake did that, the number of Christians in Clear Lake would double. Our influence in this city would double. Our opportunities to love this city would double. We'd hit more street corners. And listen, don't worry about the results. We just trust the God of the harvest for that. So who is your one person? In 2022, will you seek God and ask him to reveal that person? And then will you earnestly pray for opportunities for God to use you in their life to introduce you to him? Let's start by asking God today, right now. Will you pray with me? Father God, you are the God of the harvest. These plans to go and tell and go and invite and go and make disciples, that's your plan. And so God, we just want to... We just want to obey you because you are someone worth losing everything for. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each person in this room who that one person is. God, I have my person. I know who my person is. And Lord, I pray for her right now. I pray that you would use me in her life. Make opportunities. Clear the way so that she can meet you. The world needs to know you, Lord, because you are good. And so, Father, I pray in 2022 that you would just press upon these people's hearts to find one person, reveal one person to them that they are supposed to seek after and love and share with. God, help us as we go and tell and go and invite and go and make disciples. Thank you for your promise that you are with us. And because of that, Lord, because you are with us, we can truly go. We love you, Jesus, in Jesus' name.
church will we in 2022 I know that he wants you to go he's already told us that in our in his word and so who are you gonna go to where are you gonna go when are you gonna go because following Jesus is extreme it requires extreme obedience it doesn't make sense but God is saying I have eternal plans and you are a part of that and so for today Listen, if for today it's like, I don't know if Jesus truly is someone worth losing everything for in my life, go to the prayer corner. Let them cover that. Let them work that out with you in the Lord. If you're saying, Lord, I sense a call to go, but I need to hear more, go to the prayer corner because we prepare in prayer. And I receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you. May you know that he is with you as you go and tell, go and invite, and go and make disciples. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.